Welcome to Objection to the Rule, live on Radio Free Brooklyn. Today is, oh, not live, pre-recorded on Radio Free Brooklyn. (laughs) Today is Thursday, February 4th. We are recording and this show will begin airing on Sunday, um, which is February 8th or 7th. Uh, My name is Teresa Robinson. I'm on air today with my co-hosts, Emily Scott and Jasmine Smith. How's it going, ladies? I'm doing all right. Um, I just finished Girl on the Train, six, seven, eight years late. So the book. <laughs> okay. So, just oh. basking in that. I know. Was it good? <laughs> it was very good. I'm like, Who wrote I just, this? it was, oh, great question. Uh, it was written. I know she was a journalist for 15 years before she wrote it. It was written by, um, uh, Paula Hawkins. Oh, so highly recommend uh, if you haven't gone around to it since it came out in like 20, 2015. <laughs> Is wow. it a thriller? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's like a very female driven thriller too, which is fun. Um, wow. Yeah. That's cool. I'm, I'm excited because mm-hmm. I'm about to start reading my um, book club read for February, which is the Cicely Tyson book. Cool. Um, just as I am. Yeah. I'm super excited. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I got on the pre pre order, so I'm excited. I'm gonna try to start reading it this weekend and dive in. Awesome. I love that. I'm doing all right. I just got a lot of laundry done, which feels like like climbed Mount Everest. (laughs) Like. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like we did it. We did it, (laughs) Joe. We did our laundry. There's something very gratifying about clean clothes. I must agree. Mm Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this week we'll be discussing luxury buildings falling apart in Manhattan, um, the repeal of the walking while trans law, Haitian migrants stuck in Mexico, and the human trafficking investigation in LA County. So we're going to go ahead and kick off the episode with our local news segment. Emily, what do you have for us today? All righty. So uh, I'm bringing everyone a little Schadenfreude today um, to enjoy your weekend with. Um, so this story comes mainly from a February 3rd New York Times article by Stephanos Chen titled The Downside to Life in a Super Tall Tower, Leaks, Creeks, Breaks, uh, 432 Park, one of the wealthiest addresses in the world, forces, uh, faces some significant design problems and other luxury high rises may share its fate. So the article centers around, quote, the nearly 1,400 foot tower at 432 Central, uh, sorry, 432 Park Avenue, briefly the tallest residential building in the world, and explains that, quote, less than a decade after a spate of record-breaking condo towers reached new heights in New York, the first reports of defects and complaints are beginning to emerge, raising concerns that some of the construction, construction methods and materials used have not lived up to the engineering breakthroughs that only recently enabled a 1,000-foot-high trophy apartments. Uh, enabled 1,000-foot-high trophy apartments. Um, engineers privy to some of the disputes may uh, say many of the same issues are occurring quietly in other new towers. So this is supposed to be one of those super luxury buildings for the super rich. Uh, the penthouse alone sold for $88 million in 2016. That is just one unit in this building. That is not the whole building. Um, but it really goes to show that money can't buy everything. Uh, quote, there have been a number of floods in the building, including two leaks in November 2018 that the general manager of the building, Len Cesarnecki, acknowledged in emails to residents. 
The first leak on November 22nd was caused by a blown flange, a ribbed collar that connects piping around a high-pressure water feed on the 60th floor. Four days later, a waterline failure on the 74th floor caused water to enter elevator shafts, removing two of the four residential elevators from service for weeks. And it turns out super tall buildings get really windy. Uh, Who knew? Um, Quote, all buildings sway in the wind, but at exceptional heights, those forces are stronger. A management email explained that a high wind condition stopped an elevator and caused a a resident to be entrapped on the evening of October 31st, 2019 for one hour and 25 minutes. Wind sway can cause the cables in the elevator shaft to slap around and lead to slowdowns or shutdowns according to an engineer who asked not to be named because he has worked on other towers in New York with similar issues. Uh, And my comment on that is, yeah, no shit. (laughs) Um, My particular favorite detail, quote, residents at 432 Park complained of creaking, banging, and clicking noises in their apartments and a trash chute that sounds like a bomb when garbage is tossed, according to notes from a 2019 owners meeting. What? Yeah. Is that Uh, haunted? No, it's just so, it's so big and tall that like, there's all these forces that are like super, that are super sized essentially. So like the noise of someone throwing trash on a trash you in a normal building is just like, it's just stretched in, in ways that like, we're not meant to stretch them. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, maybe it's also haunted just with like, you know, rich people's money. Um <laughs> So, okay, I didn't choose this story just to take pleasure in the follies of the billionaires of the world and the ridiculous buildings they decide to build. Um, There's a lot of issues at play here. Um, There's extreme housing inequality. There's empty luxury investment homes, zoning law abuses, and developers and designers who think that they can and should do what they want as long as it makes money. Uh, A New York Times article from 2019 by Matthew Hag uh, provides some great additional background on these issues. The article is titled How Luxury Developers Use a Loophole to Build Soaring Towers for the Ultra-Rich in New York, in NY. And it explains, quote, the building and nearby towers are able to push high into the sky because of a loophole in the city's labyrinthine zoning laws. Um, Floors reserved for structural and mechanical equipment, no matter how much, do not count against a building's maximum size under the laws. So developers explicitly use them to make buildings far higher than would otherwise be permitted. The towers benefiting the most from the zoning quirk have all sprouted during the past half decade. Enormous glass and steel buildings with lavish condominiums that sell for millions of dollars. Many line the blocks around Central Park, some of the most expensive and coveted real estate in the city, and have become second homes for Chinese billionaires, European tycoons, and out-of-state hedge fund investors. Uh, Quote, there is no question that they have become this lightning rod because they are not just luxury housing, but uber luxury housing, said Elizabeth Goldstein, president of the Municipal Art Society, a nonprofit group that seeks to preserve the city's architecture and urban design. She said they were unaffordable not only for the 99 percent, but also for most of the 1 percent. One thing in particular really made me mad, though. Um, The article quotes an engineer who is arguing against regulating the zoning loophole and says, Quote, most anything is possible if you throw enough money at it, but these projects have to make some have to make sense from an economic point of view. They are tying the hands of the design professionals. And I'm just like, excuse me, you can't just do whatever you want. Um, I, I have a degree in architecture from college. And like, like the whole point, like everything we learn is that you have to work within the parameters you're given. And I'm so sick of people, men 
thinking that they should be able to play with the landscape that literally affects millions of people like it's a Lego city. They just decide they want to do something and like, you know, put their mark on it and that it should just happen at that point. And, you know, stuff like that's been going on for decades, hundreds of years. Like Robert Moses was the worst of the worst, if anyone um, knows about that stuff. So um, anyway, further example of this. Uh, so the article doesn't, me- the articles don't mention it, but I remember when these super tall skyscrapers were starting to come up and a big discussion in the design community were the shadows that these monstrosities would cast over Central Park, which is a space meant yeah. for everyone to enjoy. Yeah. Um, a Dizine article from 2015 described the protests that were happening over the shadows. Um, so the art, this article mentioned how 432 Park wasn't finished yet. So it's like, it's part of that discussion, but wasn't about that building in particular. Um, quote, the protesters who carry black umbrellas to symbolize the impact of the shadows have dubbed their campaign Stand Against the Shadows. According to the group, the thin towers cast shadows that stretch three quarters of a mile or 1.2 kilometers into the park. They are darkening popular attractions such as historic carousels, playgrounds, baseball fields, and portions of the Central Park Zoo. So yeah, so that's my story. Um, Just like a a lot of bad shit flying around on all sides on this one. Like uh, shot, you know, shitty design um, that you can just sell for a lot of money and no one's really happy with it. And it sucks. It doesn't serve anyone except the developers who walk away with, you know, an extra... I don't know, billion lining their pocket. It's crazy. Wow. There's slumlords all around, man. And the thing about <laughs> it is, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like not even just in the hood, but like everywhere. And yeah. It's, yeah. it's crazy now because there's like no one in Manhattan now. They're just like right. empty ass broken down buildings. It's so crazy how the Manhattan turned into the slums. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I have Huh? It's, yeah. it's so disgusting yeah. because you know it's like this of uh, these obscene amounts of wealth that should not exist frankly mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. these buildings are it's you can see it with your own eyes it's such a representation of what's wrong with this country mm-hmm. where you're putting this ostentatious display of wealth over function over anything mm-hmm. practical mm-hmm. over yep. people being able to live you know mm-hmm. like you have ugh, it, it just pisses me off so bad because there's mm-hmm. absolutely no excuse no it's absolutely not where you have people like living on subway tracks mm-hmm. you have people like if you're in NYSHA housing or whatever you you gotta hope and pray that the super or whoever takes you serious when you need something fixed you don't have enough room to safely social distance or whatever. And then you have this money just being blown on what? On these ugly ass yeah. broke down <laughs> buildings, mostly yeah. empty. It's, it's yeah, and- people should take them over. They should be squatting. You know, I was just about to say that. Like, now's the time, right? Ooh. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they are empty, right? So squatters rights. I don't really know. I don't really know the ins and outs of that. Um, but uh yeah so I like mean, I'm, me neither I'm just saying what? exactly just you might Anybody as well pay attention to what you know yeah I mean the um they don't help us yeah like a lot of like I I I don't know have statistics on it but I know that a lot of these luxury homes like you know the article I quoted some I quoted part of it saying that like people um like live there part of the time, but a lot of them are never lived in. A lot of them are just investment properties that people buy because it's like a, you know, considered stable way to store 
a few billion dollars, you know, without like some sort of like tax shelter in some ways, I think maybe. Yeah, it's like a front, but like a totally legal one, um, even when it maybe shouldn't be. Um, But it's like, it's crazy. I, it, and just like, it is like, you know, these, these designers are like, oh, it fits so well into the skyline. And like, they're just thinking about they like on their resume, oh, I built the tallest, you know, residential tower. And it's just like, so what? Like, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And doesn't mean you have the right to, to like take away literal sunlight <laughs> from public spaces. And it, of course it sways in the wind. And like all these, all the people like buying these spaces, because and for the sim for similar reasons, right? Because they think it, it is totally a marker of like ostentatious, like uh, wealth. Yeah, ex- like almost exclusively. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then most of the people that live in those places, they're not even there most of the time. Like they just mm-hmm. have them for certain, you know, out, yeah, periods of, of time. Yes. Yeah, so- the, the, there's like the woman in the article who actually lives at 432 Park. I think she, she said that she's been living there full time only since the pandemic or something like that. But it, it, the article, yeah, it made it sound like, yeah, she was, and she, it was funny though. She said like, I know there's not a lot of sympathy for billionaires out there, but like, she's like, I still had to say something cause this sucks. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Good for you. Like she knows that it's like, no one really cares about her, but like, she's still trying to take people down. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is also such an example of like, I think more people should really think deeply about how we define crime and legality and how it's really such bullshit parameters. Like why would something like this be legal when it has such an obvious negative effect on the community? Yeah. And you, like, you, what is the purpose of the law if it's not going to address those things? Right. Right. So why would the zoning rule exist if you can just get like wiggle around it? And you know, it's just a lot of lobbying from really wealthy real estate and like, developer um lobbyists i like the article mentions mostly like a lot that um there had been you know discussions about you know banning like the closing the zoning loophole and um yeah like all these lobbyists were like no 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 you can't and they got their way yeah yeah it reminds me of that that ugly ass vessel building that Mm. they think they have to close it because people Mm -hmm. have been unfortunately like yeah. jumping off and things like that it's like you displace people for what uh you yeah know? Hudson Yards yeah the whole Hudson Yards project is always sort of baffled me too it's just like do you is there really such like a lack of like office and luxury and there really isn't no there's there's actually a glut of luxury housing in the city there's too much so they can't like sell it so they have to give you all the give people all these discounts and all these other things but they they just they won't lower the price absolutely not that um yeah, I, it's there's so much there's so much just lack of foresight going on with these decisions. It's just people trying to make money, really, truly, and a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for bringing us that story. Uh, definitely some things to consider these crazy issues of this New York City. All right, we're going to go ahead and take our first musical break. The first track is a dope jazz record uh, from an artist named Nubia Garcia. She's an award-winning saxophonist and composer DJ based in London. Um, This track comes off her last album. It's called Source, and the title is Inner Game. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Hello, this is Jasmine. Just as a reminder, you can follow us on social media. We have a Facebook page and we also have an Instagram account. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. No spaces, no punctuation. Our Instagram page is at objection to the rule. All one word, no spaces, and again, no punctuation. Thanks, and here's Teresa. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we will get into our national news segment. So in the background, you may have hear my puppy, Layla, running across the living room with her bone. Layla! Um, yeah, she was making more noise um, being locked up, so I just let her free. Um, but anyway, the material in this story, I drew it from an article Um called Human Trafficking Investigation Nets 145 Arrest um, in L.A. County, and the author is Josh Hasknell, and the other article is from the L.A. Daily News by Robert Gundraw. Agencies from Los Angeles, Orange, Riverside, and San Bernardino counties participated in an effort formerly known as Operation Reclaim and Build, which was conducted between January 26th and February 1st. The Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department said that the operation focused on rescuing victims of human trafficking and providing them with services. The operation also went after people suspected of doing the trafficking, as well as customers of prostitution and human trafficking. Um, Villanova said that there was 518 arrests statewide for various crimes. Among those arrested were t- 27 suspected of human traf- as human traffickers and exploiters and 266 customers. So, wow, right? Like that's a, a whole bunch of customers and um, a whole bunch of distributors as well. Investigators rescued 76 adults and 11 ch- children from human trafficking. The federal, state, and local agencies participated in this operation. The San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department said as a part of the operation, it arrested 106 people suspicious of violations associated with prostitution and other crimes. Um, So there were detectives from over 200 federal, state and municipal law enforcement agencies that participated in this operation. Victims were found by the law enforcement and taken to various victim service providers um, in each of the different counties. Statewide, 39 victims of human trafficking were rescued and 13 of them were juveniles. So this is really sad to me. I'm just going to take a a breath here, realizing that um, there's a lot of children in this story um, in all the different parts, right? Not just the trafficking, but also in the prostitution. Um, So this is a quote from one of the police officers that spoke on it um, in L.A. He says, exploiters target and prey on vulnerability, often coerced and manipulating children and youth into the sex trade, which promises of love and acts of kindness alternated with violence and threats frequently resulting in trauma bonding. That's the, t- the term that they're using. This has a lot to do with students who are home, children who are home now and doing homeschool. So, you know, if they happen to be there by themselves or their parents are paying attention, uh, they can get out and get caught up in things like this. Um, they are more subject to being pulled in by these predators um, and into this lifestyle. So that's a key component that's kind of changed a lot with sex trafficking since the pandemic started. So the law enforcement in L.A. and a lot of the commentary around the story, they want the public to know that children are being bought and sold not in a third world country, but here in Los Angeles every day. And they've been working on this year in and year out um, to establish this operation that they just pulled off. Um, So this is, you know, 
a huge problem. I think sometimes when we think about sex trafficking, um, to me, it, you know, I don't, I've never really been, um, super privy to it as a whole, you know, this is a different topic for me to be exploring, but it's, it's real, you know, it's so many uh, people, especially right now who are vulnerable, who are um, just without resources. And, you know, this is a way that they are preyed upon um, from people who participate in this. And it's really sad, you know, um, especially just thinking about the amount of children who were caught up in this ring. Yeah, that is super sad, Teresa. It's a really hard one, but, you know, thank you for doing the research on it. Um, I mean, it's a hard one, but it's also, it's like, it's like one of those things where the reality of that is horrible, but it's also good news that the, you know, the operation was so successful, I guess, in that sense, but it's also like awful that it was that way. Yeah, I mean- One of the things about this story that sticks out for me is how all the different levels of law Mm -hmm. enforcement work together to pull Mm -hmm. this this plan off. You know, we often don't hear about when, you know, I hate to say that things go right or that they're Mm -hmm. actually able to come together to work on things. But I think it's interesting to consider um, the amount of effort that it it goes into an operation like this. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Historically, a lot of bad shit and abuse and um crimes of this nature like the perpetrators get away with it because of that lack of communication between um different levels of law enforcement um like you know going back to like the golden state killer and stuff like decades um so yeah that's a really good point Teresa, for sure there's also Unfortunately, a lot of people are, especially when they're children, someone that they know and trust is the one that's responsible for getting them involved in these things, which is really fucked up. Yeah. Like have if you have a relative or someone you think is a family friend or whatever, and they end up betraying you, you know, that adds a whole other layer of complexity to it. It's not necessarily always some stranger in a corner that jumps out of the blue. It's some of these people get groomed and lured and lied to, and then they end up in these situations. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's unsettling that when you think about, you know, the amount of young women who get caught up in this, like, you know, I always think about women when they finish high school that high school to college transition for people, if it's, you know, it can be really wild. You know what I mean? Just like kind of trying to come of age and with things in the pandemic, like people can't go to college, they, they can't go to work. It's just so many other elements at work right now with this, you know, with this crime in play because of the pandemic and the way the world is right now. So no, not to um, bring anybody down, but I think it's important that Um, We shed some light on this topic here and and just that people are desperate. You know, people really need resources and sometimes they really make bad decisions based on what they, you know, what they're dealing with. So did did you say where the children, where these people were coming from? So are these people that are being trafficked that are like U.S. citizens that we know or is a mixture? It's just. Well, from the article, it didn't really explain much about the actual victims, who they were. I think that's a really good point to make as well. Um, I could definitely look and try to do some research, but definitely it doesn't say neither one of the articles. And, and obviously this this story came from the news today. 
um, it was reported today. So um, I can look into that, but that's a good point. Yeah, I'm just curious. Like, it, you know, I, I think the other thing that these stories, the other fucked up thing is you have these like QAnon people and the people that, you know, mm. ostensibly they claim to be so scared mm-hmm. about human trafficking and child trafficking. And the thing that's so insidious is that it is a real thing. It is a real thing that happens. There are people Mm -hmm. at all levels of society that participate in human human trafficking and sex trafficking to some degree. And there's powerful people that are shielded from consequences for doing it. I mean, there's also a lot of questions around what's happening with migrant children that are separated from their family and no one knows where they are like having them be basically trafficked or illegally adopted by certain families and you know it's good to be aware that these things are really happening but it also scares me how these stories then get twisted around and perverted into these really dark corners of the internet or like how let's say if you're just a sex worker like things will start to happen or get put in motion that are like, oh, this is to stop trafficking. But in reality, it ends up hurting people that are adults in the sex trade in Mm -hmm. a fucked up way instead of doing what the ostensible reason for the law is. It's really complex. Yeah, that that's actually a good segue to what what I was thinking about, too, is is the interplay between these crimes and also the the movement to legalize um sex work and how and how like how difficult it is to find that space um but also how necessary it is for those conversations to keep happening because like sex trafficking is a crime that needs to be like stop you know i'm not i'm not coming up with good words for that that is a crime that needs to be stopped but sex work has always existed it's never going to stop and and demonizing sex workers who choose of their own free will to go into that business um and how like and how the movement to legalize that is is kind of like being discussed in certain circles um but how that interplay works and how tricky it is to find that space where you can regulate, you can stop, you know, regulate in the sense of stopping sex trafficking while also regulating in the sense of decriminalizing sex work can also exist in that same world. It's very tricky. Yeah. It's an interesting parallel, right? Because it's almost like, because they kind of, unfortunately they kind of work hand in hand. Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't have an answer. There are there are definitely um, activists who say that you cannot have legalized sex work because it will just lead to more sex trafficking. And I don't have an answer for that, um, yeah. certainly. But yeah, I don't know, man. I, I don't really see how that would be. I think the fact mm-hmm. that things are illegal and pushed into the shadows mm-hmm. make people more vulnerable. Like I feel similarly about drugs, mm-hmm. like how there's people will use substances that alter their mind and have done that since the beginning of time in the same way that people will do sexual favors or use sex as you know a bargaining thing or whatever since the beginning of time but when you make 
these things illegal in the, especially the way that it is made illegal in this country mm-hmm. it gives all the worst kinds of people all of the power yeah and yeah, that's, you know yeah. it drives this it drives the underground black market i think it's the same with i think sex work and also drugs are very mm-hmm. similar in that way it's like the, yeah. the criminalization the stigma all mm-hmm. of that does more harm than it does good because you're not going to get rid of these things that's true and you know you have to also kind of question why do you think that inherently at its root doing a drug is like bad or Mm -hmm. like paying for a sexual service is bad like where does that come from Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and um and you know why is pornography allowed like why is why is sex work legal when it's filmed but not when it's not happening on camera, right? Like, why are those rules yeah. in place and, and the, the dynamics, ha- the power dynamics happening with those decisions being made? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. There's and a slippery I, and Jas- slope there. Yeah, and Jasmine, absolutely. There's uh, there's a huge contingency of activists who who are, are exactly on that side as well. Um, it's just, it's, yeah, it's just like, it's, there's so many complex social dynamics at play and, yeah, and hopefully, you know, people keep doing the work to disentangle them, um, create a more equitable, you know, society. I think that uh, I think it's great to have conversation about these tough topics because they help us to gain a greater understanding of what we need to do to advocate against them, to protect the people who are victims to them. But a lot of times we shy away from them because it's so difficult to talk about, and it's you know, it's it's the ugly reality that we live in. You know, so sometimes it's, it's better for us to at least have dialogue because even just what we talked about is a different perspective. It, it just kind of opens it up differently and makes us want to be more vigilant or at least more engaged in these issues um, to help the victims and, you know, just change the way things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right, y'all. So we're going to go ahead and jump into our next musical break before we hop into the world news and get some good news. Uh, The next track is from a young lady named Savannah. I found her listening to um, NPR, the Tiny Desk. I love those things. The Tiny Desk concert. Like, I'm just... I'm an av- like I'm an advocate of live everything, live music, live <laughs> yeah. you know, like we need that in our lives. And so mm-hmm. I just like over the weekend I like indulge. So I found Savannah. She's actually been doing work uh for a long time. I had never heard her and she has such a great like Caribbean sort of R and B vibe. Um and she can really blow, which is really cool. So this track that I chose for today is called Mangoes. And she says, I love you like mangoes. Don't we all love mangoes? I love that. Anyway, check it out and stay tuned. We'll be right back. Vanna in a dance style. My love you like manga. Better you give me some loving. See how far we can go. Imagine it be nice and something. But say me love you like manga. At me closely, coming on, tell you no lie. Won't compete with no other. What you feel like when I try? Such a sweetie skin, clean, well meant to clear up your signs. My love, you like manga. Better you give me some loving. See how far we can. 
Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, and for our next segment, segment, we will have Jasmine with our world news story. Take it away. Okay, so this is a world news story that is uh, pretty close to home. Like it does involve the U.S. Uh, this information comes from El Paso Times. This article was written by Lauren Villagran. The title is Border Patrol Drops Haitian Migrants in El, pa- El Paso Juarez Bridge. So yesterday, uh, which was February the 3rd, a Wednesday, U.S. Border Patrol confirmed it returned some Haitian migrants to an El Paso Juarez International Port of Entry. 140 people were returned to Juarez over two days. The El Paso Times confirmed that the migrants returned through the Isleta Zaragoza Bridge were Haitian nationals. Since the pandemic began, the U.S. government has been quickly returning unauthorized migrants to Mexico under the public health law known as Title 42. Under the rule, migrants of other nationalities, including Haitians, are supposed to be returned to their countries of origin. Border Patrol spokesman Landon Hutchins said in a statement, public health and keeping our workforce safe to to include those in our custody is our number one priority. 
Enrique Valenzuela directs a Chihuahua state-run migrant aid center in downtown Juarez, and Enrique says most of the Haitians deposited in Juarez had either tourist or work permits in Mexico or had received their Mexican residency. So, you know, regardless of whether they worked in or were tourists in Mexico, like there's still Haitian nationals who are from Haiti, but they were being left in Mexico. They came here to cross the border, Valenzuela said. When they aren't welcomed, they were simply returned. Now it's up to us to give them humanitarian attention. Migrants expelled to Mexico under Title 42 are exceptionally vulnerable, according to Taylor Levy, an an immigration attorney who has worked with expelled migrants. It's high-profile and visible, It's not done in a safe or protective way. There are cartel scouts operating on the bridges pretending to be vendors. This problem is utterly amplified for Haitian migrants who are Black and who are very obvious in Juarez, where there are extensive problems with racism. They should not be doing this. In March, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention prohibited U.S. Customs and Border Protection from holding migrants in quote-unquote congregate settings in an effort to slow the spread of COVID-19. As a result, the Border Patrol stopped placing migrants apprehended at the border in holding cells and began instead processing them in the field and quickly returning them to Mexico through ports of entry. So that's... um, one part of the story, but I also found another article that's related in The Guardian called New Claims of Migrant Abuse as ICE Defies Biden to Continue Deportations. Uh, And this information was written by Julian Borger in Washington, D.C. So as we know, like we have a new president and um, Biden had signed an an executive order putting a 100-day suspension on deportation flights. However, ICE has been going rogue and has been still deporting African and Caribbean migrants. So this action suggests that the Biden White House still does not have full control of ICE, which faces multiple allegations of human rights abuses and allegations that it has disproportionately targeted Black migrants. So there was a Trump-appointed judge in Texas that blocked Biden's moratorium on deportations last week. And there are asylum seekers from Cameroon who are saying they're being tortured and forced to approve their own deportations. They describe being forced down physically on the floor, having their fingers inked and pressed onto deportation documents that they had refused to sign. Um, And bringing it back to... um, Haiti, ICE carried out a deportation flight to Haiti on Tuesday morning, carrying people who were neither threats to public safety, convicted felons, suspected terrorists, or people who arrived after November 1st. So the Trump appointing, appointed judge in Texas that blocked Biden's moratorium on deportations did not block the guidelines that stipulated that people who are deported have to be suspected terrorists, felons, et cetera, like people that are deemed a threat. However, like ICE has been deporting people back to Haiti, including people who are not Haitian, they're just Black, um, who are not terrorists, they're not convicted of anything, they've been here for a long time. So this includes someone named Paul 
Pierilus, P-I-E-R-R-I-L-U-S, a 40-year-old financial consultant from New York who had never been to Haiti and is not a Haitian citizen, um, but was sent back to that country, was sent to that country um, this past week. Um, There's a congressman named Mondaire Jones, who is a Democratic representative for New York's 17th district that says there's nothing that we could do to stop it. Speaking of um, Pierre Ellis's deportation flight, he goes on to say, Paul's story is not uncommon. Black immigrants have been disproportionately targeted and deported by our racist, inhumane immigration system, particularly in recent weeks. Um, And some of you might uh, remember, if you're listening, that we did do a world story about what's happening in Cameroon between the French-speaking majority and an English-speaking minority. Um, The Cameroonians that were sent yesterday back to Cameroon are mostly English speakers from the west and south of the country, and they're afraid of being imprisoned, tortured, or killed upon return in the midst of a brutal civil conflict between the government and Anglophone or English speaking separatists. Um, So yeah, like it's, there's a lot of um, very blatantly like anti-black, racist, xenophobic actions being taken right now to send people back, whether they're sending them back to where they're originally from and they're facing danger there, or it's just, well, you're black, we might as well just send you to Haiti or let's just dump you off in this border town and we'll see whatever might happen to you. So that's my world story. And uh, the situation in Mexico in particular made me think about Teresa's story. Like these people are now vulnerable to who knows what that wants to take advantage of them, like being left on this bridge, like they obviously stick out from the local community. You know, those are situations that are rife for people to snatch you up, traffic you. Get you caught up in situations that you can't handle. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a very scary time. And the fact that, you know, this agency is basically doing whatever the hell it wants, no matter what the leader of the executive branch has told them to do. It's very, it's incredibly disturbing. And I, I want to see more action taken to actually stop this from happening because just telling them not to do it is clearly not working. Absolutely. And that's awful that, you know, they're shipping people and and I say shipping people because that's just how, you know, fucked up it is to countries they're not even from. Like, how has that even happened? I can't even imagine what you would do if you were in a situation like that to get out of it. That's insane. Wow. That part really struck me too. I, 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 I mean, I don't, I guess nothing should surprise me anymore. Um, like I know ICE is such a fucked up organization, right? But like, I didn't know it was that fucked up. <laughs> Where they're not even they're not even pretending anymore that they're you know like sending this person back to this country because that's legally where they're from. Like they're not even pretending anymore. That's crazy. That's wild. It's very scary. 
Yeah, and I don't I don't mean to make it seem like sending them back to where they're actually from would make it okay. Like right, right, right. Yeah. It's my view that this these organizations should not exist. And I mm-hmm. think that would be the best thing to do would be to just dissolve them immediately. Like it's not mm-hmm. in anybody's public health interest to be shuffling people around like this, mm-hmm. putting them they're they're gonna be in danger in their home countries. And even and if you send them back to where they're technically from, like you have people where they don't speak the language anymore. They don't know anyone mm-hmm. there, even if they were born there or whatever, like you're basically sending them into what? Mm-hmm. And a yeah. reminder, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Jasmine, that like ICE, like pris- imprisoning ICE, what's the word? Like people who ICE are trying to deport, like is not legal is that or it's it's like the point is so they show up to their their trials right right? it's not because they've committed a crime it's a civic it's a civil offense it's not a like a criminal offense to yeah right yeah it's it's fucked up up and down the the board absolutely well thank you so much for doing all that research on that story jasmine um definitely something to keep watch of and to you know figure out how to dismantle this shit like let's let's start figuring that out you know yeah and we'll we'll continue to keep you updated and we'll put links on our um social media for how you can get involved how you can try to put some pressure on your elected officials like what groups are like active locally that are trying to resist this because you know as i always like to say it's not good enough to just know about it like make some kind of an effort to contribute because it's not nothing's going to change otherwise absolutely thank you so much for bringing that story and for our final segment of the day emily what you got for the good news girl all right yes so uh, some needed good news um the story comes from a february 3rd npr article by jacqueline diaz titled New York Repeals Walking While Trans Law. The article explains, quote, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo signed a bill Tuesday that repeals a state anti-loitering law, commonly called the Walking While Trans Ban, that critics say police use to harass and arrest law-abiding trans people in particular. The new measure effectively takes off the books a 1976 law that sought to prohibit loitering for the purpose of prostitution. Again, just like cycling back to another story we've had on this episode um, today. But uh, anyway, politicians and LGBTQ advocates say the law resulted in decades of discrimination by law enforcement. Quote, advocates for repealing the anti-loitering law said it had previously been used with a broad definition that police used to justify the arrest of someone because of the clothes they wore or where they stood on the street. New Yorkers have been fighting for years and what has become stop and frisk for transgender women of color, and the walking while trans ban enabled the profiling and arrest of transgender New Yorkers for doing nothing more than standing or walking on the street said human rights campaign president Alfonso David in a statement. Quote, New York State Senator Brad uh, Hoyleman, the lead sponsor of the bill, citing police reports, said uh, said that the 1976 statute was used to stop people for wearing a skirt, waving at a car, and standing somewhere other than a bus stop or taxi stand. Uh, Holyman, citing data from the New York State Division of Criminal Justice Services, said that in 2018, uh, 91% of people arrested under the statute were Black and Latinx, and 80% identified as women. 
so local jurisdictions have been chipping away at the law for a few years, but this repeal wipes it clean for the whole state. Um, it's definitely not a good thing that the law has been on the books for as long as it has and been able to create a deep-rooted uh, or contribute to a deep-rooted bias against the LGBTQ community, especially the um, the member uh, people of color in that community. But it is definitely a good riddance to that law. Yeah, and it was also Absolutely. interesting. I, well, not interesting, but the the way that I think the overlap with our earlier story about sex trafficking and you know legalizing sex work and and it doesn't just you know the those laws don't just harm you know people who you know choose to be sex workers it harms it's like creates a whole culture of like of hate and discrimination and um you know pushing things underground and power dynamics and all sorts of things yeah you know they got laws to harass people behind this bullshit just because you look a certain way Mm -hmm. meanwhile they can't enforce these laws with these decrepit ass buildings (laughs) yeah on the street yeah there's no law for that there's no Mm -hmm. law that's going to be enforced but like oh you the way you dress the way you look your color Mm -hmm. i'm gonna harass you force you to do like a sexual favor for me or else i'm locking Mm -hmm. you up like it's just such a fucking joke like the whole way that legality is weaponized is disgusting but Mm -hmm. i'm happy that this got repealed i'm glad it's been a long time coming a lot of work into that yeah yeah totally absolutely we definitely needed that good news and hopefully that you know now that the law has been repealed officially we'll just see more advocacy around just you know trans issues and just trans safety because it definitely there's so much work to be done in that area you know there's small wins that are great but it's the magnitude um, of people who are affected by crime in that way it's just it's yes it's overwhelming so thank you for bringing that good news story yeah thanks yeah we definitely anytime guys love doing the good news awesome so that's it for this week's objection to the rule thank you so much for listening you can catch all of our older episodes on radiofreebrooklyn.org or on the radio free brooklyn app or on spotify you can listen up for more independent brooklyn media the final track for today uh, comes from the new motion picture, The United States versus Hil- Billy Holiday. And it's from Andre Day. It's called Tigress in Tweed. And uh, I love Andre Day. She has a beautiful voice. And she was actually nominated for a Golden Globe this morning for her uh, portrayal of Billy Holiday. I haven't seen the movie yet. Have you guys seen it? No, but I- I'm adding no, it to the list for sure. Yeah, it's on my list for this weekend. I'm about to hit this, uh, definitely hit up, hit up this cable and this flash drive of this. What we got? What's that thing called? You know, the jailbroke thing. That. I'm going <laughs> to watch this movie. My fire stick. That's what it is. <laughs> Looking for this movie on my fire stick this weekend. But a uh, shout out to Audra Day for just like taking on such an iconic role. I think that's awesome. And being nominated. So hope you enjoy Tigress and Tweed. And we'll see you next weekend. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Say, say, say Mm, Say, say, say Say a prayer for me Strange fruit come down off that tree Cut it
If you live in New York City and run for either fun or exercise, here's a way to learn something about the city while you're getting in your workout. City Running Tours is now offering neighborhood running tours designed with locals in mind. New York City takes pride in the diversity and character of its neighborhoods, and these unique running tours offer an opportunity to learn the history of a neighborhood and get personal recommendations from your guide. Choose from tours of 23 neighborhoods, including the East Village, the Upper West Side, Bushwick, Long Island City, and Roosevelt Island. For more information about the running tours and to see the list of neighborhoods and full tour schedule, check out their website at www.cityrunningtours.com slash New York City and check out a live tour every Saturday at 10 a.m. on Instagram.com forward slash city running tours. <laughs> 